Okay, we are beginning a new topic. I am very excited. It's a, by far, by far the most abused, misused, misunderstood topic that I am aware of in Jewish law, specifically as it relates to Shabbos. Um, there, there, there's just such a, a lack of awareness, and it's understandable because, as we'll see, it's not an easy topic. Uh, the source sheets are at the front of this table. I'm sorry. Uh, the source sheets are over here if anyone needs. Um, eventually get a source sheet stand so people could see them, and I know, just keep on pointing. <laughs> okay. um, so uh, the, the topic is Amir la'akum, or Amir la'nachri, which means telling a non-Jew what to do, or hinting to a non-Jew what to do on Shabbos, and there are many layers to this topic. So we're going to take it very slow. That's the plan, and it's not my uh, go-to thing, but uh, you'll, you'll help me ensure that we keep things at an appropriate pace, because there are so many different facets that we have to focus on. I really want to drill in the principles that we are going to be talking about, so enough of introduction. Let's jump in. We'll see the first source together. And today we're going to keep it very limited. You're not going to walk, you're going to walk away um, with more, uh, well, basically a limitation on doing anything as it involves to a non-Jew today. And that's just the nature of it because we're going to be doing this step by step. And that's, that's the only way this is going to work. Okay. So uh, if you leave after today, you will not have any ability to ever uh, utilize Amir Lanachri and... That's, that's, that's just too bad. I'm sorry. Okay, so let's begin. Source number one, and this is, a, this is a Mishnah that is talking about a fire that is raging in a location. And I want to give a quick caveat, and that is that the fire they are talking about over here is a fire that it is clear. And let's just go with this premise. It is clear that there is no potential harm to anyone's life or to anything of that nature, okay? Because if there was any concern of someone's life being at risk, then of course a person would be allowed to do anything and everything to extinguish that fire. You don't have to ask a non-Jew, you do it yourself. And typically nowadays, typically nowadays, if we were to heaven forbid have a fire anywhere in a home or whatever it is, we assume that there is endless possibilities of risk and therefore a person should do whatever they can on their own to extinguish that fire. Okay, so that's, that's the practical part. I mean, I'm going to speak in generalities if you know for a fact that it's something which is not dangerous. Okay, we could talk about it, but, but generally if you're not sure that there's a suffix, if there's a concern, a doubt of any sort, that maybe this is a dangerous fire, that people's lives are at risk, you, yourself, don't call anyone else, you yourself, do whatever you can. Of course, call whoever could help, and that's fine. But we're going to go with the premise of this Mishnah that the fire we're dealing with is not a life-threatening fire, okay? So I just want to get that out of the way. So the Mishnah, we were looking at it, source number one, you have the center text is the Mishnah. That is where you find the regular text. On the right is Rashi, on the left is Tosfos. So we're going to go through all of those commentators in, in a moment. But first, let's begin with the Mishnah, which, begin, which is the bold lettering, uh, the regular lettering, Hebrew lettering in the middle of the page. And the Mishnah says as follows. Nachri, a non-Jew, who comes to extinguish a fire, ein omrim lo kabe. We do not tell him to extinguish. In other words, a person's coming to extinguish already. You cannot give them any instructions. Again, let me just going to repeat that for the last time today. It is not a life-threatening situation. If it was, this would be a different discussion. But extinguishing a fire is a biblical prohibition. And you are not, Anandu comes, you are not allowed to say, hey, 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 come here. I need you to extinguish. Even if he's coming, you cannot encourage him to go ahead and extinguish that fire. Okay? That is the halacha. Okay? And then the Mishnah com- continues and says, Ve'al techabeh. And I'm, there's a couple of words that need to be read in over here. And the way these last words are read is that you do not have to tell the person not to extinguish. In other words, you cannot tell them to extinguish, but you also do not have to tell them that they should not extinguish. Okay, so again, you, don't, you cannot encourage them, 
but you also do not have to stop them. Mipnei, because she'ein shvisa so alehen, you are not, it is not, their, their resting is not incumbent upon you. Okay, so what is this Mishnah saying? Let's, let's break this down. There's two separate points that are being made in this Mishnah. I'm going to go backwards. The second point the Mishnah is making is that you don't have an obligation to ensure that a non-Jew does not do work on Shabbos. On the contrary, non-Jews don't, they, there's no chiyav, there's no obligation of Shabbos. They, they are not supposed to keep Shabbos, right? That is, right, Shabbos is a Jewish, uh, a Jewish day, okay? At the same, so on the one hand, they don't have any responsibilities of Shabbos. And therefore, if they are doing something, uh, you do not have to tell them to stop, okay? We'll see some limitations to that. At the same time, you cannot encourage a non-Jew in any way to go ahead and um, do any malacha, anything which is prohibited. Where does that come from? If the Mishnah just told us that they are not obligated in any way to keep Shabbos, so where does this come from? So let's look at Rashi. That's on the right column. Uh, Rashi is the, fur, the, the underlined uh, phrase on the, right, uh, on the right side of the Mishnah. So Rabbanan Gazur Alamir Lenachri, it was the sages who made a decree about telling, uh, the, the, again, the term is Amir Lenachri, telling a Nanji what to do, that it is forbidden, Mishum Shavus. Shavus is a term you'll find in Talmudic literature. Shavuos comes from the word Shabbos, which means to rest. There is a broad application of the idea of resting. And uh, whenever, we find very, whenever we find rabbinic prohibitions, very often they'll be described as a shvus. Okay, so it's just a Talmudic term. Basically, it is a shorthand for a rabbinic prohibition of Shabbos. Okay, shvus means rest. And so the, the, there is the biblical prohibitions of rest. Which, which we have, the 39 prohibitions. Shavus is a rabbinic term that describes all resting that, were, that, is, that is instituted by the rabbis. Okay? So basically what we have is Rashi explaining to us that this idea of Amir al-Nachri, telling a non-Jew not to do something, is prohibited by the rabbis. It is not a biblical prohibition because, again, non-Jews don't have any responsibility, any limitations on resting. It is rabbinic in nature. It is something we call a shavus. Okay? Now, is... Yes? So it's limited to Shabbos. This term will only be found in Shabbos because it's a, bro- it's a broader application of the idea of Shabbos itself. Shavos resting is, is the, whenever we find rabbinic institutions, uh, not always, but usually whenever we find rabbinic institutions of, of broadening the laws of Shabbos, it's described as a shvos. So that's the shorthand. Yes. Are they, is it us resting or is it them resting? It, good. So it's us resting and we'll see why in a moment. So we'll see why. Well, well, good. We're going to get into exactly what is the nature of the prohibition. So today's class, again, is going to be much more less practical, much more appearance, conceptual. Um, but we'll, let's, let's come back to that question. So let me ask you a question. Extinguishing a fire, is that a biblical or rabbinic prohibition? Biblical. Biblical. So extinguishing a fire is biblical. So if you were to stop after this Mishnah, you would say, okay. So when it comes to biblical prohibitions... You cannot ask an Anju to do things. But rabbinic prohibitions, which by the way are many of the things that we have in our homes, nowadays, according to virtually all commentators, almost all commentators, uh, you know, the lights in our homes, the lights are LED, and most lights are LED lights. That's rabbinic, according to most commentators, okay? Uh, so it's rabbinically prohibited to turn on a light on Shabbos, as opposed to biblical. If you have an uh, incandescent light where it generates some heat, according to many, that's, that's biblical. But, but LED lights, according to many, are rabbinic. So you read this Mishnah alone and you say, okay, it's only limited to biblical laws, but not so fast. Let's look at Tosvos, which is on the left, left side, uh, on the left side of that first source. Ein omrim lo kabe. 
So says Tosvos, Afilu bi'isura de Rabbanan, this is true, even for rabbinic prohibitions, Amira l'nachri shvus, it is still a rabbinic prohibition of telling a non-Jew to do things for you would still be included in this rabbinic prohibition. Kedamrina l'kaman beperek shoel, and he sources a Gemara uh, earlier on, uh, later on, excuse me, where it, it discusses a case where you are not allowed to tell a non-Jew to do something which is rabbinically prohibited. So the bottom line is, that this prohibition, this rabbinic decree against telling a non-Jew to do something for you is true for both biblical laws as well as rabbinic laws. There may be some distinctions, there will be some distinctions, which we'll get to, but right now, the first source teaches us it is prohibited to tell a non-Jew to do something for you on Shabbos, whether that prohibition is biblical or whether it's rabbinic. Straightforward? Ish, okay? Let's, let's, let's go a little first, uh, further. So let's jump down to source number Four, actually, then we'll come back to source two and three. So the bottom of the page is source number four. This is a section from the Rambam. This is his introductory paragraph describing this prohibition that we're talking about over here, the idea of Amira Lenachri, telling a non-Jew what can or cannot, telling a non-Jew to do something that you cannot do. So let's see how the Rambam frames this prohibition. Says the Rambam, again, we're at source number four. Asr Lomar Lenachri, it is prohibited to tell a non-Jew Lasos lanu to do for us a prohibited activity on Shabbos. Afal al Even though a non-Jew has no restrictions, has no uh, requirements, has no limitations, is not instructed about Shabbos. Va'afal And this is true even if you tell the non-Jew before Shabbos. Okay, so okay, we're gonna we're starting to see some of the applications. Not only can you not tell a non-Jew that they cannot do something on Shabbos, but you cannot instruct a non-Jew before Shabbos to do something for you on Shabbos. We'll see why soon, okay? So even before Shabbos, tell a non-Jew to do something for you on Shabbos to say, tell the non-Jew, listen, on Shabbos, it's gonna, I'm going to need some lights on in my room. Could you please come over on Shabbos afternoon and turn on the lights towards the end of the day? Even though I'm telling them before Shabbos, it's still prohibited, okay? Fine. And similarly, I cannot tell a non-Jew on Shabbos to do something for me after Shabbos, okay? So in other words, I cannot turn to a non-Jew and say, listen, right now, all is good. Uh, it's Shabbos. I don't want you doing this. But after Shabbos, I'm going to need the lights on. I'm just going to use the lights on over here. Uh, I'm going to need the lights on after Shabbos. Could you please turn them on for me after Shabbos? That would also be included in this prohibition. So to tell a non-Jew to do something for me on Shabbos, for Shabbos, prohibited. Tell a non-Jew to do something for me before Shabbos, for on Shabbos, prohibited. Tell a non-Jew to do something for me on Shabbos, for after Shabbos, prohibited. Okay? Okay, we're starting to second guess our, uh, our Shabbos, uh, you know, our, our, what we tell non-Jews to do. But let, let, let's see the last one. This is the line that I really want us to see. Here he explains why. The sages instituted this prohibition. This is prohibited. Literally, for, uh, the words midivrei sofer means from the words of the scribes, which is, again, a, a euphemism. It's another term to describe rabbinic uh, from, the, from the rabbis. Okay, so the rabbis prohibited this. In order that Shabbos is not taken lightly in our eyes. Which will lead us to do it on our own. See, he suggests, and not everyone agrees to this framing, but he suggests that the rationale behind this prohibition is that if all of a sudden everything around you is being done, if you are in an environment where lights are being turned on, the television is being, uh, channels are being changed, where food is being cooked, then this becomes part of the, the, the culture, the, the, the ambiance of that you're surrounded by, and this may lead you to do the same thing. 
right? So there is a concern that if all these things are if around you, all of these malachos are going to be performed, then you may perform the same things as well. And therefore, to ensure that that doesn't happen, the rabbi said, no, the people around you cannot be doing these things for you because that would lead to uh, an environment which may lead you yourself to perform these malachos. Okay, we'll see. There are obviously, as we know, and we don't know what the parameters are yet, but there are uh, ex- uh, exceptions, which we'll talk about. Uh, but they're limited. They're much more limited than I think many assume. Uh, but that's, the, that's how the Rambam frames the prohibition. It's in order that if everyone around us, if, if our neighbors are doing, or not in their own homes, but for us, around us and for us, they're doing these malachos, they're doing these prohibited activities, it may lead us, it creates a certain norm, normalcy around these things, and we may be led to do the same ourselves. Yes, Lisa. Okay, good question, good question. So, so it seems like even if I'm, if I'm engaged in discussing these things, so even if I'm engaged in discussing these things, even if they're not happening, you know, just like I'm not supposed to be discussing malachos that are forhib- forbidden on Shabbos, I'm not supposed to, you know, Shabbos, Nish Shabbos Goret jokes aside, you're really not supposed to be talking about business and, and, and doing malacha, and, and there really is a prohibition against talking about uh, activities, forbidden activities on Shabbos, okay? You shouldn't be talking, you could, you know, I'm going to make a sale after Shabbos. You're not supposed to talk about such things on Shabbos. And so even though you're not doing it, but again, it creates an environment where, where such things are, are the norm. And You're saying, because it's not being done, it's not being done. Well, he says, Shabbos kala beinehen. If I'm talking about, right, so he says, any, any of these activities are going to lessen and lighten the severity of Shabbos. So he clearly is included, you know, he sees that as including talking as well, it would seem. Yes? So when I was in Israel before I became really observant, I, a bunch of us were like wanting to get up to make shul, and um, our madrachat said, you just go to the front desk and you just hint like, hey, I would like to possibly get up by... Right, right. So we're we're gonna we're so yeah we're, we're gonna this is gonna be very a layered conversation. So we're gonna hold off on what is allowed, what isn't allowed. Here we're gonna start with the prohibition, and we're gonna get there. There are many things that will be allowed, but we're gonna we're gonna get ahead of ourselves by start addressing some of those questions. But go ahead. So a person has a housekeeper or a cleaning lady, and to be continued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are good questions, right? No, no, no. These are excellent questions. And we're going to have to come back to what are the exceptions? What, are, what is allowed? And yes, what happens when someone lives in your house and doing things, whether it's for themselves, for you? Um, what type of hints are allowed, not allowed? We're going to get to all, like we're gonna get to all those things. But right now, we're just right. l- l- listing the, the prohibition. Nope, no, no problem. Was there? I thought I saw hands. No, we're good. Okay. Yeah, let's go a little further. So now we're going to get a little bit more conceptual in terms of what is the, the framework for this prohibition. How do they construct this prohibition? We're going to get, I guess, what we call in the Shiva world, a little lumdish. We're going to get into like the conceptual underpinnings. Yes, Shelley. Before you do that, I just want to mention that um, you know, people are talking a lot now in this sort of pop psychology about mirror neurons and mm. the fact that when you see something, it makes you sort of practice it in your Interesting. mind. Interesting. So Interesting. I don't think that the Rambam was so far off. Like, it didn't cool. nothing. Um, and we, we have... 
Cool. So let me just unpack that for a second. Thank you, Shelley. That's a fascinating insight. And that is that, uh, you know, the, the idea of mirror neurons is that if I see you smile, then there's a part of me that's actually smiling internally. There's a certain joy that gets generated. Uh, that's the idea of the, the mirroring that takes place. And so if I'm watching people do malacha, how does that impact what's taking place, at least in my brain, um, in terms of those activities? What, what is it? How does it, how does my, how am I, at least into, you know, emotionally or, you know, psychologically relating to Shabbos as those things are happening? Cool. Uh, interesting idea. Interesting idea. Okay, thank you. Um, so let's look at, there's two Rashis over here. If we go back to source two and three, there are two different ways that we could frame um, the, the, the nature of this prohibition. The, the, again, the, if we want to, the Talmudic term that people would use is the Gedder, which is the framework of the prohibition. We understood what is prohibited. We understood why it's prohibited. But now we're going to talk about how is it prohibited. In other words, what are the, when the rabbis instituted this prohibition, how did they construct the prohibition? Okay, what is the nature of the prohibition? You'll see what I mean in a moment. Let's look at two Rashi's over here. Source number two, there's a Rashi in the Gemara in Avodah Zarah. Rashi says on, as follows. Aval al-Hashabbos, regarding Shabbos, lo nitztavu b'nei noach. B'nei noach, and this is, the, this is another ter- term that people use to describe all, all people who are not Jewish. Okay, it's so the children of Noach. They were not dis- uh, uh, instructed, they're not commanded to keep Shabbos. Umasha asr li Yisrael lo mar so if that's the case, if non-Jews are not instructed or not prohibited or not limited in terms of their Shabbos observance, why is it forbidden for a Jew to tell a non-Jew to do as follows? There is a verse in Yeshaya, which for those of you joining us for the Yeshaya share, we'll get to, a little plug. Uh, and that, that verse actually teaches us a rabbinic prohibition, which is somewhat unique. And that rabbinic prohibition says that you are not, we'll just focus on the last words, vidaber davar. Isaiah Yeshai is describing Shabbos, and he's talking about words that should not be said on Shabbos. And the rabbis learn from that verse, they understand that Yeshaya instituted a certain limitation to what we're allowed to say on Shabbos and what we aren't. So I mentioned earlier, you cannot talk, you should not talk about your business dealings on Shabbos, or not just business dealings. You should not talk about the fact that I'm going to do something prohibited on Shabbos. After Shabbos, I'm going to bake a cake. Guess what? You're not supposed to say that on Shabbos, okay? That's all included in Vidaber Davar. Then not just what we do on Shabbos, we have certain, pro- the biblical prohibitions uh, revolve around activities, but it, it, Isaiah came along and instituted prohibitions against our speech, that we shouldn't talk when we speak, that shalote, the, the way you speak on Shabbos should be different than what, the way we speak during the week. Some people take this so far, this is not obligatory, but some people, and, and the Rabbim actually endorses this somewhere, and that is that they only speak Hebrew on Shabbos, okay? Um, we once tried that for three minutes. Didn't last. Uh, it's called, but, uh, but, but yeah, but the, the idea is that on Shabbos, so that, that's already like the, the cherry on top. But there is a prohibition against speaking about forbidden things on Shabbos. Let's just unpack this. So Dibor Asr. So Rashi says there's certain types of speech that are prohibited. So the way Rashi understands the framing, the Geder, the framework of, of, of Amir Lanachri is, the, the way he understands is that it revolves around a prohibition against speaking about Melacha, speaking about prohibited activities. And therefore what he's saying is that for a person to go ahead and say, hey, uh, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, uh, please go ahead and, uh, and, and turn on this light for me. I just spoke about something which is prohibited. That's the framing of the prohibition. It's about speech or about, maybe to say it differently, it's about communication, right? So if I'm communicating to someone something which is prohibited, then it's go- that, that is going to be the, the, the nature of the prohibition. 
Now, I know everyone's going to ask me, wait, if I don't say it, what would be included? We'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that point in a moment. Um, but uh, let, uh, clarifying questions. Okay, yes, uh, Shelly, go ahead. Broad. Broad. So, so yeah, I mean, it's, not, it's not so much the focus of, uh, I'll just say this b- briefly, broadly, if I may, um, and that is that, yeah, you could say things which are broad enough that they don't particularly include a malacha. So I could say, well, I'm going to go away. If I say I'm going to Ho- Hawaii and the only way to get there is to either swim, take a boat, or take a plane, uh, don't swim there, but uh, then that is, then that, that already many understand to be prohibited. So even saying I'm going to a trip to Israel might be, uh, might, might be prohibited on, on Shabbos. So again, it's, it's beyond our, our discussion right here, but we really, it's not something we think about so often, but, but saying things which imply that we're doing something prohibited uh, might be included. But again, for our intents and purposes, what he's saying, the way Rashi understands the prohibition, I'll come to your point in a second, Elaine, um, is that a person, the, 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 the how of this prohibition, the way that the, the sages instituted it was a prohibition against forbidden speech. For me to tell a non-Jew to do something on Shabbos is a violation of forbidden speech. That's how they framed it. Yes? What if you write Good, good. Good. So we're, we're going to address that. Great question. So yeah, so how does this relate, right? How does this relate even whether I wrote it or even said it before Shabbos? Vidaber Davar is clearly a prohibition that relates to Shabbos itself. So we'll have to, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get back to that point. Yes, Karen. The, what he was saying is that people are doing a terrible job keeping Shabbos, right. and therefore, in order to ensure the sanctity um, of Shabbos, uh, he therefore speaks about the need to do more, and the sages understood that he was, at that time, instituting uh, new prohibitions. Okay. Yeah, so rabbinic. Yeah, yeah, and which is, which is unique, which is a discussion unto its own. We don't typically find... Yeah, he's a prophet. Prophets are allowed to, again, it's, but it's not biblical law, so it's a prophet, a prophet instituting something is, is, has the nature of rabbinic law. Yeah. Okay, let's see the next Rashi, source number three, and there's a Rashi in uh, Shabbos, and he's describing, describing, uh, once again, he's describing Amir Lanachri, and he says, why is it prohibited? The hare, see that underlined line by the three? Sorry, it looks like a, I don't know what it looks like, okay? The hare hu shlucho, that the non-Jew is the person's agent. Is there a better word for that? Uh, um, yeah, Representative, thank you. Yeah, basically they are, there is a notion, there's a concept in halacha that a person could be one's agent. I could give you $5 and say, hey, uh, could you please be my shliach, my agent, to go and give that to charity? Who gets the mitzvah? I get the mitzvah, right? Because you are my agent. Or I could go ahead, and there's a whole discussion in Gemara that you could get an, I could ask an agent to go ahead, this is the most unromantic thing you could do, but there's a whole tract to discuss this, to ask uh, someone else to, to, to marry someone on my behalf, Okay. Fine. They're the ones who give the ring. They're the ones who give the money. Don't try this at home. Okay, but basically, right, but, but the point is that there is agency, the notion that someone could act as my, what was the word you used? Representative. representative, right? So it's more, it, it's, it's like representative, but it's, it's stronger than that. They are actually acting as me, okay? Now, there are limitations to that principle, and it doesn't always just work naturally. Over here, uh, the, what the Gemara is telling us is that the non-Jew is able to act as one, is acting as the person's agent, the Jew's agent in doing this thing. Now, usually there is going to be certain limitations about a non-Jew acting as an agent for a Jew. There are also limitations about anyone acting as an agent to do, there's a notion of ein shliach lidvar avera, that I can tell you, hey, I want you to go and, uh, you know, I don't know, do something for me, which is prohibited. I want you to go steal something for me. Can you be my agent? 
Guess who gets the prohibition? The person who did it. You cannot be my agent for something prohibited. So what's going on over here? So let's look at the next. We're still in source number three, but what the two lines underneath are from a commentary on the Rambam, someone known as the Hagos Maimonios. This is uh, one of the many commentators you'll find on a page of the Rambam. And here he explains the, the notion of shlichut, the notion of agency. He says, Asr litain lenachri maos be'erev Shabbos. You cannot give money to a non-Jew on Friday. That he would go ahead and make a purchase tomorrow, meaning on Shabbos, on the day of the market. Why not? I did it before Shabbos. Because there is agency, there is representation of a non-Jew for stringency. In other words, what, what, what he's acknowledging is that this is not classical agency. Left to, had the rabbis not instituted this, this would not be, this, this wouldn't work. But there is a stringency instituted by the rabbis that there is going to be some form of shlichut, some form of agency of representation that is going to take place. When I ask a non-Jew to do something for me, there's going to be some level of agency and representation that the non-Jew is acting as I am, and therefore it is forbidden. So let's summarize, let's review the two principles, and we'll think about, we'll, and, and think about some possible differences between them. But according to the first Rashi, According to the first Rashi, the prohibition revolves around what? It revolves around speaking about prohibited activity. I cannot say certain things on Shabbos, and similarly, I cannot tell a non-Jew to do something for me on Shabbos because I am speaking about prohibited activities. That's one way of framing it. The other way of framing it is not so much about words that I'm saying, it's that the non-Jew is acting on my behalf. L'chumra, basically it is seen, we're going to act strict. It's as if the non-Jew is acting on my behalf, and then it's my activity on Shabbos. Okay, so those are the two ways that we could conceptualize this prohibition. Let's let's go one more source. That we we'll return the page to the Avne Nazar, the other side rather. Uh, the Avne Nazar. This is one of the Achronim, one of the later commentators, and here he's going to talk about these two um, these two ways of framing it and speak about some possible differences between these two different approaches. He says, "Vilulei she'eni kedai." He says, uh, you know, this is a, a phrase of, of, of humility. He says, uh, you know, not, despite the fact that I'm not worthy, roshi ben haharim hagdolim, uh, to enter my head, to place my head between these great mountains. Okay, he's, he's riffing on a Talmudic phrase uh, when uh, rabbis were in the Talmud were asked to weigh in on a debate from years prior from, rabbi, from, from great sages who, who came before them. And the rabbi responded, how could I place my, 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 myself between these two great mountains? In other words, you know, sometimes if they're too, you know, we, 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 we have some deference. So Davani Nezer is introducing it, this statement that he's about to say. He was talking about two, two uh, sages who came before him. And he says, really, I shouldn't be talking over here. But nonetheless, okay, after I got the, the humility out of the way, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you what I'm going to say. Hainir the fire should explain as follows. When it comes to telling an Anjou that you cannot do something, there are two, he frames it as two different prohibitions. Rishon, the first is Mishum Vidaber Davar. The first is because of forbidden speech. Again, the verse in Yeshaya, Vidaber Davar, you cannot say certain things. Kemasha Kastav Rashi Avodazara, as Rashi, that was the first source we saw. Rashi in Avodazara says the prohibition revolves around Vidaber Davar. Vizelashono, and this is the quote. Umash Yisrael Aser Lomar Legai. The reason that a Jew is not allowed to tell a non-Jew to do as follows, we just saw this inside, because the words because Isaiah instituted this notion of not saying certain words, even speech of activity is prohibited. That is one way of looking at it. Hasheni, the second prohibition, because the non-Jew acts as the agent of the, non- of, of the Jew. 
Chamash Kasev Rashi, Reish Mishahachshach, as Rashi himself said in another place. Vine, and behold, Litam Harishon, according to the first approach, Afilu Omer Lo B'Shabes Lasos Acher HaShabes Aser. According to the first approach, which is the notion of speaking about prohibited activities. If I were to tell Anandu on Shabbos to do something for me after Shabbos, that would also be included. Because on Shabbos, I'm speaking about prohibited activities. But according to this first approach, if I were to tell Anandu before Shabbos, on Friday, to do something on Shabbos, the first reason doesn't exist. Speaking prohibited uh, things only applies on Shabbos. Today, I'm allowed to talk about prohibited activities. Today, I'm going to bake a cake. Today, I'm going to drive my car. Today, I'm going to turn on or not turn off lights, right? That's fine, right? So according to the first, if we would just have the first reason alone, then of course, I could tell an on Jew before Shabbos, hey, on Shabbos, I want you to change the heat. I want you to turn on the lights and I want you to, to, to drive your car and pick up some, some groceries for me. Thank you so much, okay? I'd be allowed to do that because Vidaber Dabber says, I cannot speak about prohibited activities on Shabbos, but before Shabbos, and the fact that he's doing on Shabbos is meaningless, has no relationship to the prohibition. The prohibition is all about not speaking prohibited activities. However, ah, however, Mishum Tam Hasheni, but the second reason, Asr Bazet, these things will all be prohibited because of the second reason. Uchshaomet, right? Why? Because the second reason tells us what? That he's acting as my agent. And therefore, even though I didn't say anything on Shabbos, but in terms of the agency, if this non-Jew is going to go ahead and turn on the lights for me, turn off the heat, go pick up, make some, some purchases for me on Shabbos, they're acting as my agent. And therefore, it doesn't matter when I said the words, according to the second rationale, according to the second reasoning, it's going to be prohibited because of that second reason. Right? And when you tell a non-Jew on Shabbos, to do something after Shabbos, so let's pause for a second. If I tell a non-Jew on Shabbos to do something after Shabbos, First reason or second reason or both? Okay, I, I'm right. The second reason, which is agency, doesn't matter, right? Because when's he going to do the thing? I say after Shabbos, I want you to go pick something up, please, right? So he's doing it after Shabbos. Who cares? I'm also allowed to do it after Shabbos. So in terms of agency, the second reason wouldn't apply. But according to the first reason, which is not saying prohibited things, it would apply, right? Aser rak mitama rishon. It would only be prohibited because of the first reason. And when I tell an Jew on Shabbos to do something for me on Shabbos, yesh shnei hatam, and both reasons apply. A, I said it, and B, they did it, and therefore both reasons apply, right? So, so you're with me, in other words, what we have over here, and this is somewhat academic, because practically speaking, both reasons apply, okay? But this is just for our, hopefully this is uh, not too early in the morning for this, but basically, right, just for us to conceptualize what is the prohibition, there are really two different factors at play. One is, I shouldn't say things that are prohibited on Shabbos. That's vidaber davar. And therefore, that would include saying something, of course, on Shabbos, to do on Shabbos, or saying something on Shabbos to do after Shabbos. Those would all be included in Vidaber Dabar, not speaking about prohibited things. There is another prohibition, which is part of the construct of this prohibition, is the notion of shlichut, the notion of agency or representation. And according to that rationale, if I tell someone something before Shabbos to do it on Shabbos, since they'll be acting as my agent on Shabbos, that would also be prohibited. With me? Yes. Correct. So, obviously, if I tell somebody before Shabbos to do something for me on Shabbos, so he is my agent, but he's doing a prohibited thing, which is really prohibited only to me, 
Mm -hmm. How does it work? Right. So, so the, the, the idea of, this is really what the Hagos Maimonis was, was getting at, and that is that there's shlichus lechumra. In other words, in terms of the real technical way that shlichus works, it doesn't work over here. There, there is no, had the rabbis not instituted Amir Lenachri, this would be meaningless. And so, on so many levels. A, I cannot tell a Jew to do something for me prohibited on Shabbos. I can't tell you, hey, can you turn the light on for me on Shabbos? It wouldn't be my Avera, right? It would be someone else's. But I certainly can't tell an Andrew because he he's not even limited in that prohibition, right? The, when, when Rashi says that it's Shlichus, Rashi's saying that it's the rabbis, when they instituted this prohibition, instituted it in the format of Shlichus. In other words, this is a rabbinically, a rabbinic construct of Shlichus. It doesn't, on its own, meaning biblically, prior to the rabbi stepping in, this type of shlichut wouldn't work. It's just that when they constructed this prohibition, they constructed it in the, mo- in the, in the mode of shlichus, and that's how it works. So that's one of the dimensions of how it works. Does that address the question? So you're right. In other words, it shouldn't work, but they, this is how they, they constructed something called a, a, a rabbinic construct of shlichut. Okay? Yes. Because then that agent is an extension of the yid. So it's almost, I hate to say this, but like an honorary. You know what I'm saying? So it, that's the whole purpose of it. Yep. So, so then the, that's why it's prohibited for them as well. It's like, because they're doing it for you, they're mm-hmm. an extension of... Well, they, they don't have any... There, there's no violation to be... There's, there's no violation... Correct. Correct. For you. For you. Certainly not them. For the record, just to be clear, they didn't do anything okay. wrong. Okay. Uh, any other questions? No. Okay. So right. So so basically, what we have over here is there are two elements, two dimensions to the prohibition of Amir Lanachri. Again, it is a rabbinic prohibition. Let's just quickly summarize. We're going to just walk away with a couple of basic principles over here, and we're going to get to some exceptions, God willing, next week, okay? So the basic, pro- uh, basic principles are as follows. Uh, there is a rabbinic construct, rabbinic prohibition called Amir Lanachri, telling an Anju to do something for us that is forbidden, and there is, uh, and that is, it is applicable to both biblical laws as well as rabbinic laws, okay? So Although we'll see some exceptions, strictly speaking, uh, at least uh, for today, there it is. There's a prohibition to ask an Jew to do something which is both bi- either biblically prohibited or rabbinically prohibited. Why is this instituted? So the way the Rambam understands this is that it is in order to ensure that Shabbos does not become light in our eyes, that we don't we're not surrounded by melacha by prohibited activity being done around us. Uh, and we have Shelley's psychological explanation of the Rambam. And now, in terms of how it's constructed. How it's constructed, we have either, not either, but both. It is on the one hand a form of rabbinically constructed shlichut. There's a sense of agency. The Nanju is doing something for me on Shabbos. And therefore, even if I tell them before Shabbos to do something, it's still prohibited because on Shabbos they're acting on my behalf. And therefore, I'm in violation of this idea of Amir Lenachri. In addition, there is another element of it, and that is vidaber davar, I cannot say prohibited things. Now, when we start thinking about those prohibited things, saying prohibited things, we're going to have to go, get a little bit deeper into the prohibition of a daber davar. And we're, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I want to start thinking about this, and that is that, you know, there is a prohibition against saying prohibited things. I'm allowed to, all I want, imagine and think about my business throughout the entire Shabbos. Not recommended, but I could think about prohibited things. I cannot say prohibited things, but there is also some, there, that's a continuum, right? Thinking is prohibited about for prohibited things. Speaking is prohibited, 
right? But then there's a whole realm in between, which is going to get us to next week, which is remiza, right? Which is hinting. Where does hinting fall? And are all hints created equal? The answer is no, right? So, so, uh, right? so basically, we're going to get into that middle realm. But at least for today, vidabra dabra means you cannot speak. You are allowed to think. Next week, we'll get into what is in between. Yes, Dina, then Shelly, yeah. Ah, okay, okay. So this is, this is, uh, this is good. Right. We're get, we, yeah. <laughs> that is, that is another good point, And we're not going to get to that today. Um, but, uh, needless, not needless to say, let's say it, but, uh, not everyone would agree it's a good, a good, good idea, but let's, uh, for a lot of reasons, it's good I don't get paid, paid hourly. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, but yeah, but the, the bottom line is, yes. So we at Jonathan is our custodian, and he does a whole lot of work for us on Shabbos. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? So two things. First of all, we're going to get to addressing some of those. I want you to please, please bear in mind two things. First of all, chances are, let's just put it out there, chances are many of us make mistakes in telling him what he could and could not do. One of the things that I uh, told myself to do over the next few weeks, especially now that we're learning this as a shul, is to write up a very short uh, set of directives of how we are, what's appropriate type of directives to uh, Jonathan or whether it's the security guards, what we are allowed and not allowed to say. Two things I just want to mention um, as an aside. One is, yeah, we're going to get into the hints that are allowed. B, there, uh, well, one of the things that we're going to get into is two exceptions that, that, again, need a lot of unpacking, are not so simple, but we'll get to it. And that is, uh, there is some level of allowance for uh, the masses when you have something as opposed to a private citizen. There is an exception Hotly debated, which we'll talk about at length, uh, which is something called Mishum Rabim for the, for the masses, as well as something called Mishum Mitzvah for a mitzvah. So let's, uh, let's hold off on, on whether Kiddush is included in a mitzvah. We'll discuss that as well. Uh, but, but certainly for davening, for having a group of people davening in a shul, okay, forget everywhere else in the shul, there might be a lot more flexibility for that, which will be very different than me reading a novel in my house on Shabbos afternoon, right? So before we extrapolate anything from the shul, which again, needs explaining and is not so simple, uh, definitely don't uh, apply whatever you see happening here to your home that quickly. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. Yes, Shelly, then yeah. Uh, no, no, that would be totally fine, right? Meaning there, there's no, for, 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 for him to do so or her to do so would be total, right? There's, there's no probit, there's, there's absolutely, right. So this is limited to Shabbos. There, there, yeah, there's limited to Shabbos. The, 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 yeah. Bottom line is limited to Shabbos. If they have a prohibition, right? There are Shiva mitzvahs in Noah. We have to be careful about that. There are seven mitzvahs that are, but, but the rest of the 600 and whatever, you know, six, uh, yeah, uh, then, uh, then, yeah, there's no such prohibition. It's limited to Shabbos. Yes, yeah. Ah, okay. We are getting way ahead of ourselves. Yes, yes, that is, yes, you have agreed. That is, uh, that is, uh, that is a whole concept of zone. We're getting, some of the principles will be helpful when, when thinking about, when thinking about that question. Yes, yeah, uh, yes. Uh, to go back to the Mishnah. The non-Jews coming put out a fire, presumably on his own behalf, if he doesn't want it to spread. Right, so, where's the fire... So, so we're going to assume, we're going to assume, good question, we're going to assume that the, the fire is being done for the Jew. It's the Jew's fire. That, that's the context of the discussion over there. But yes, if a non-Jew is doing something completely for their own behalf, or the there's no problem they, at they, all. They, if, like, this has happened all the time when I'm walking to shul, somebody stops, clearly not Jewish, can you tell me where 
X, Y, Z. And, you know, yeah. Words, I can tell them. Of course. Absolutely. 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 100%. If it's being done for, for them, that's, that's, that's 100% fine. Fire this fire is for the Jews' sake. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So that's a very good question, Sue. Uh, very good question. And it, it's, well, you know, because in my work around where I live, and, and so that they, where the workmen have worked on Shabbos or Yantas. So we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I would say, but I would say the answer is it is, it is forbidden. Uh, in, in what, uh, we had a little bit of work done in our, I, I was, in our contract. They cannot work. And I said, <laughs> they don't always listen. That's okay. So I, just before we judge people, I just want to point out, like, I know I have written in, in our so I, because it happens a lot and I see it a lot. Um, I know personally I had it written in a contract. They cannot work after sundown until after nightfall on Saturdays and the, the holidays had it all written in the contract. And I would get, in, be informed that there are people working in the house um, on Chavez. So they have a deadline. I, you know, but so, but, but, but the answer is no. And we'll, we'll talk about why. We'll see exceptions where sometimes non where we will, we will get to some of those distinction uh, uh, applications. Yes, take back. I can't give them money to buy something for me on Shabbos. Right, okay, 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 Is that right? Meaning I can't say, hey, I want you to go for me on Shabbos. I, I can't even tell, forget the money. I say like, hey, you, you know my accounts, like go purchase. Well, you can purchase something for you. You can't ask Ananji to purchase something for you on Shabbos. Purchasing would be rabbinic. And so I cannot have him do it for me, for me on Shabbos. Yeah, yes. No such thing. <laughs> Good, good. So, so we're, we're, we're going we're gonna to get into those discussions. We're going to get, so good. So let's, let, so until next week, let's try not to ask Nanju to do anything for us because uh, we're not going to, sorry, this, this is going to take some time. I'm sorry. I have no good way of telling you this. This is, we have a, there are a lot of good questions. Again, I'm going to re- reiterate how I started. This is by far one of the most, uh, I'm not going to say abused because it's, uh, it's not done uh, deliberately, but misunderstood and misapplied laws in, uh, in when it comes to the laws of shops, I would, I would venture to say. Um, so, but we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll see what is allowed, what is not allowed. Okay, I think there's another hand. No, okay. Let's go, let's, okay. So here, so, so far we have, again, we have what is prohibited. We, we talked about why it's prohibited, how it's prohibited. Now let's talk about what happens if a non-Jew does something for you. Okay, let's say it happened. Okay, um, and let's say they didn't even, let, let's go back for a second. If the idea is speaking, then if a non-Jew does something for me on Shabbos, and I didn't tell them to do it, but they did it for me. They definitely did it for me. Was I in violation of speaking? No, because I didn't say anything. But if, they, but if they did it for me, am I in violation of agency? Yes, because at the end of the day, they did something for me. And so what the mission now discusses is a scenario where I'm sitting in a room, okay, and it's pitch black. Uh, it's, it's, it's near a Tumid where they, they forgot to put windows in the, in the okay, it's 1950s uh, construction. Okay, this is the way, this was stylish, but you know, this is the way things were. Uh, yeah, so basically there's no windows in this room. There's no windows over there, right? So I'm sitting in Shul and it's pitch black, right? And so, again, maybe Shul's, we're going to not talk about Shul. I'm sitting in my house and it's pitch black, right? And a non-Jew says, hey, I'm sitting in a room, it's pitch black, opens the light, right? I didn't tell them anything, right? Am I allowed to benefit from the work that they did for me? So let's see what the Mishnah says. The Mishnah says, Nachri shehidlik esaner, a non-Jew who lights a candle, for themselves, okay, Mishtamesh Yisrael. 
if they lit it for themselves. And for themselves meaning means that they literally lit it for themselves, meaning uh, not the case I gave. The cases where you, you, are, you, you walk into a room and, uh, you, and there's a non-Jew sitting there who you know opened the light on Shabbos for himself. He wanted to read a book in this area. He opened the lights for himself. And you walk in after. He did it for himself. I didn't say anything wrong. He didn't do it for me. Check. I'm allowed to benefit. I'm allowed to have full-fledged benefit for it. Vim bishvil Yisrael, but if it was open for a Jew, Asr, I cannot have any benefit from it, which means, which means as follows, right? Sometimes we say, l'chatchila, ideally or initially, I cannot tell someone to do something. But if it happens, I could benefit from it. When it comes to Amir l'nachri, that principle doesn't apply. When it comes to Amir l'nachri, if it already happens, and if, right, if someone did something illegal, meaning the non-Jew did something for me, which he wasn't supposed to do. He turned on the light for me. I have to leave that room. I am not allowed to benefit from that whatsoever. I'm not allowed to be there. Okay? That is, the, so there is a prohibition against benefit. Let's go to the next source, source number seven for a second. Um, and this is the Rashba, one of the classic commentators on the Talmud explaining why. He says, A work uh, any prohibited activity which is done by a non-Jew, if we were to, if the rabbis were to allow it, the benefit from it, post facto, then you would go ahead and, and, and tell them. You know, there's a concern that if we were to allow the benefit post facto, then we would, then there's not, that, then I may go ahead and tell them initially to do so. And therefore to take away the incentive of telling a non-Jew to do so, they therefore said, in order to, that there's no incentive whatsoever, there's no draw to tell a non-Jew, it's not only prohibited to tell them, but even, initially, but even post facto, after it happens, I'm not allowed to benefit, okay? So the halakha over here is that if someone made a mistake and told a non-Jew to do something for them on Shabbos, you're not allowed to benefit from what they did, okay? Now we'll talk about some possible exceptions, but we're going to start with basic principles over here. The basic principle is that benefit from Amir Lanakhri is Asr, Okay? Yes, Lisa. So, I don't So, so I'll give you a similar example um, where let's say you have a, uh, you know, there's $10 on the floor, on the street, okay? And it's, uh, you know, it's an area where the $10 has no sign on it. It's something which it's, we consider that hefker. It's ownerless. Uh, basically, someone picks it. It's completely lost. No, no one owns it, okay? I could pick it up or I could pick it up and say, I am acquiring this on Lisa's behalf. You don't even know this $10 exists. Why am I, and I'm acting as your agent. Why? Because the fact that it's something which is beneficial to you, even though you didn't say the words, but there is a notion, there is this model of agency where even without a directive, agency still applies. I'm doing it on your behalf. Why the principle the Gemara says is that it's something which is uh, objectively beneficial. There'd no, be no reason for you to turn down that $10. Uh, I can't go ahead and say and, and pick up like a debt for you. That wouldn't work. Uh, but I could pick up a, a benefit for you, right? And even though you didn't say it. So the notion of agency does work even without directives. 
So I, I, my, my point is just to say that, that the, the notion does exist in other realms, and therefore over here too, there would be a notion of agency even without a directive. Let me just, let me just make just two points from this mission, because I think they're two separate, very important points. One is the, 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 the law about benefits. What we're learning from here is that you cannot benefit post facto. If a non-Jew does something which they weren't supposed to do for you, you are not allowed to benefit from what they did. Again, they turn the lights, you'd have to leave. Uh, in theory, uh, you, they turn on the, the, you know, some, some other benefit for you, they did something for you, they brought you something you weren't allowed to bring, for, and they, they purchased something in a, well, we'll talk about some, some of the applications, they baked you a cake, they weren't allowed to bake for you, uh, we'll get around other, other possible prohibitions, you're not allowed to benefit from that cake, okay? Anything that they are building, making, doing for you, you are not allowed to benefit from it. There are other issues with baking a cake, I know. Uh, but, 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 uh, but, but, but uh, that, that's one thing we learned from here. But we also learned an important exclusion uh, or, or exemption, and that is, uh, exception, and that is that if the non-Jew does it for themselves, then you can benefit from it, right? So that would also mean, let's expand that a little bit. Let's say you have a scenario where there are, you know, the, the, the Talmud goes into much more detail. You have nine non-Jews and one Jew in a room, okay? And the non-Jew walks in and says, oh, it's dark in here, turns on the lights. So although they're also benefiting you, but since the majority of the people there are non-Jews, therefore we don't consider that to be a benefit for you. So for example, this comes up a lot in, uh, if you're in like a public place, you know, sometimes I'll be in a hotel, you know, I've been in a hotel for Shabbos, and there is something being done for everyone. Something's being, you know, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, certain, certain things are being done for everyone, right? So if there is, or let's say uh, they put on an urn, uh, you know, they put hot water up, okay? So if I can't ask a non-Jew to heat water up for me on Shabbos, right? But if they made, uh, they, they put hot water up before Shabbos, uh, on Shabbos morning, I know they plugged in Shabbos morning, coffee time from seven to nine, whatever it is, they plugged it on Shabbos, no doubt. But since I'm in a hotel and 99% of the people there are non-Jews, it's not considered being done for me, okay? So that's an important expansion of that. It's not only when it's being done, uh, so we're saying that if it's done exclusively for a non-Jew, I could benefit, but also if most of the people there are non-Jews, then I'm also allowed to benefit. I know there are a couple of hands that I... Yes, Shelly and then Cyril. Um, what about a case, without getting into like how it's done, where it's on the person's initiative because they want to do something for you? Like, I'm not doing it... I'm not doing you a favor. I, oh, I saw this thing and I had to get it for you because I know you love it. Like, right, yeah. right, uh, good. Great question, great question. So we'll see some application of that where it's going to be allowed, but generally speaking, generally speaking, um, the, the, the issue is that they're still doing it for you. Even though they're saying, meaning, I love you, you're my friend, I want to do, like, this is something which I know you love, I want, to, I want to help you out. Still, at the end of the day, I'm doing it for you, it's going to be prohibited. There are going to be scenarios where we could say, they're really just doing it for themselves, even though it's for you, and we'll, we'll get there. But generally speaking, there's still going to be a prohibition in those scenarios. Yes, Sarah? Yeah. So, so you, you know, you have guests coming for, for Shabbos lunch, non-Jew. Okay. They, they go to conference, which doesn't exist anymore, and buy kosher. <laughs> well, right. You know, something else. Buy, and they know that you keep kosher, and they'll buy, you know, greens, you know, babka, mm -hmm. and bring it to you as, you know, for part of the meal. If you knew they bought it on Shabbos, you would not be able to, to benefit from it on Shabbos. If they're eating it, okay, good point. So if they're eating it also, the question is going to be, so here you have a case where you, so the, you know, the Gemara gets into granular detail over here about scenarios where there are two people, let's say, or three people, right? Two of them are Jews, one of them is non-Jews. Or you have a scenario even where it's nine non-Jews, but there's one very important Jew. So in this case, which I'll use, I'll apply that over here perfectly. This is great. I was looking for a good application. If you're the host, right, when someone buys a gift, 
right? Some food, you know, sometimes you'll buy, you know, sometimes people will buy the, the candy dish because they like that candy. But generally speaking, you're buying it for the host, right? That's, you're buying it as a gift for the host. So there's an argument to be made. I'm not sure. We could, we could debate this point. But, but even if you, so let's say you have nine non-Jewish guests and they, they went to shoppers and they're so culturally sensitive, they bought all the appropriate food, but they're technically buying it for you. So I'm not sure. I'd be a little, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm leaving that as a open question mark, even though the majority of people at that table might be non-Jews. Okay, but since in some ways the person they're really buying it for, although they're going to partake in it, it, it still the main person in some respect is you. I'd be a little hesitant. Let, let's let's okay. Let's take one more question, and then I don't know how to hand up before. Then and then we'll run a little. What about in in this particular case, right? So you didn't want the non-Jew to go onto shopping to buy it, right? Ah, okay, good, good. We're gonna hold. We're gonna hold. Let's hold off on that. Good, good, good question. In other words, there is something that that they did. Meaning, let's say the example you know that, that we're gonna talk about at some point is let's say you drop something off at the cleaners or something like that, right? Technically, did they do a free on Shabbos? Maybe you know. I don't know. Possibly, uh, but we'll see. You're allowed to drop things off the cleaners. Correct. If the only opportunity is the answer is no. Okay, but just. just Correct, correct. This is why, by the way, just again, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but you're allowed to drop something in the mail two minutes before Shabbos, even though you know that very, like, they're going to pick up the mail on Shabbos, but you are not, there's no obligation, there's no contractual obligation by putting a 50, whatever, a little stamp there. They are not obligated to deliver it the next day, right? Um, and therefore, you are not directing someone to do it on Shabbos, even if they might do malacha on Shabbos at the end of the day, you're allowed to do so. Uh, yes, Dara, I'm sorry, I cheated. Yes, go ahead, Dara, then Yael, then we'll go further, yeah. So it has to be the time allotted. So, uh, so if they did it for you, if they did it for you on, to, to give it to you after Shabbos and, and you never instructed them to do it on Shabbos, then technically you'd be able to benefit from, again, you never told them to do it and they were doing it for you to give it to you after Shabbos, technically. Ah, in terms of the after benefit. So we'll get that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that as well. We'll talk about that as well. So we'll, yeah, we'll talk about that as well. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that, that. You're right. It's not, usually it's, there's some things which are always going to be prohibited, some things which are going to be uh, uh, prohibited with uh, certain qualifications, certain limitations. So two other, let's just read this last one. This is from the Orcha Shabbos. This is from more of a contemporary source. And here, so, so far we saw one exception only, and that is allowed if it's done for a non-Jew, um, even if other Jews may be benefiting, but if it's primarily being done for a non-Jew or non-Jews, a Jew is allowed to benefit. But here we have some other um, exceptions to the benefit idea, and that is source number eight, we're in the middle of a paragraph, but we'll, we'll read this. When it comes to the fire, we do not prohibited the items or the food that was saved from the fire. Let's go back to the case of the, how we started. We said, you're not allowed to ask an Anju to, to, to put out the fire. You're also not allowed to ask an Anju, let's say there is no, uh, no Eruv, right? And so to start taking the food items or products from the house and bring them outside would be, in most cases, a rabbinic prohibition to take them out of the house, right? So you cannot tell a non-Jew to save those items. We'll see, there might be some exceptions. Let's just run with the story for a second. Now, are you, based on what we just learned, are you allowed to benefit from those things they just took out of the house? Well, we said you cannot, right? We said you're not allowed to benefit from those items. So let's say the non-Jew saved your Shabbos meal. They, they say, oh, the cholent, right? So they grab the cholent out of the burning house, right? Baruch Hashem, you now have your cholent. So it's cold outside. Are you allowed to eat that cholent? Based on what we saw a moment ago, the answer should be no. 
But says Orcha Shabbos, and this is not his own idea, he says you are allowed to benefit from those things. Why? And this is a very, very important principle. Again, I just want to be clear. You cannot ask the non-Jew to save that cholent. That would be Amir Lenachri. But let's say they did save it for you. Okay? Which again, they shouldn't have, they, you should not have allowed them to do so. They shouldn't have done it for you. But they did. Right? So we saw until now, post facto, after the fact, you are not allowed to benefit from their activity. Nonetheless, over here, you are allowed to. Why? This is not, I'm going to translate this as a direct benefit. The, there is not a direct benefit which would therefore be prohibited. What, what does he mean? It's not a direct benefit. What he means is as follows. When a light is turned on or a cake is baked, there is a direct benefit from the non-Jews activity. But let's say there is a pre-existing chulant and they moved it from one place to the next. They saved it from the fire. They took it outside. The benefit is not as direct. It's more of a, of a it's not as, the, 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 the sorry? Um, yeah, it's not right. So, so I've saved, they've saved it from the fire that was being consumed. They, brought, they did bring it outside and I'm benefiting from their activity, but they didn't make something for me. They didn't create something for me. There's not a direct benefit from what they did. Okay, and this is a very, very, so in such a case, I'll give you a few examples and we'll start, hopefully this become a little bit more clear. It's a very fine point, a subtle point, but basically what we're learning over here is, again, I cannot ask them to do so deliberately, but, or explicitly, uh, initially, but if they do, I'm allowed to benefit. Another example of this would be if it is light in a room and they turned off the lights. If they turn on the lights, I'm directly benefiting from the lights. If they turn off the lights, we could, again, in English say, I directly benefit from the dark, but there is an absence of, they, they've removed the light for, for me, and therefore I'm benefiting in a more indirect fashion. Again, I want to be clear. I cannot ask a non-Jew to turn off the light for me. But if they did, I'd be allowed to benefit from that light being turned off. What was that? But what if it's like your kids want to go to sleep, so they're turning off the kids? Right, well, right. There is a benefit. But we call that, an, so anytime where they're not creating something, where they're not making something, where they're not, so we call those indirect benefits. Meaning, the, when the rabbis... Inst- Essentially, yes. Meaning, so there are benefits that will be allowed. Again, I want to be super clear. You still cannot tell a non-Jew, and so we'll talk about some exceptional cases when you are, but you cannot say, please turn off the lights for me. That is prohibited. But if they did, if they did, you'd be allowed to benefit from that. Whereas if they turn on the light for you, you would not be allowed to benefit. Yes, Shelley? Can you instruct a non-Jew to do something that will benefit non-Jews? Let's say you're in a place I, I believe the answer is yes, but I want to, right, even because Vidabar Dabar is a malacha that's being done for Jews. So I believe the answer is yes, but I need to, I need to, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I don't want to say that definitively. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe the answer is yes. So I, I, let's, let's, there's going to be two very important exceptions coming out of this idea of direct benefits, what we call direct benefits. One, again, and I'm going to say this again, and I'm not, I'm, not, I'm going to be a broken record, but it's just so important. It does not mean you could ask a non-Jew to turn off lights for you or turn off the air conditioning or turn off the heat. Okay, you cannot do so. You cannot say, please turn off the heat. But if they did, if they turned off something for you, right, you would be allowed to post facto benefit from those things. And we'll see why this is so important next week when we start talking about hints that are allowed. This will, this will, this will be very, very crucial for us. But any indirect benefit is going to be allowed. So therefore, turning the lights off is allowed. Another application of this, and this is the third exception we'll talk about today, and that is, let's say there are windows in this room. And I'm reading in this room, and I can see. It's just, it's not so bright. You know, it's probably still cl- it's cloudy outside, right? So there's some sunlight coming in, but it's not the best way to read, right? But I could read. And an comes in and says, oh, you're going to kill your eyes. Boom, turns the lights on, right? 
So if it was pitch black in the room, what would I have to do? Leave the room. I cannot benefit from it. But if it was already light and it was bearable, I could read already with the light that's coming from outside, I'd be allowed to stay in that room because it's just enhancing. It's just adding, and therefore it's allowed. Now, that's, right? So anytime it's going to be just an enhancement of what I'm already able to do, I'm able to, again, lights are going to be the easiest example of this, where I'm able to do this, you know, bidochak. I'm able to do this, push comes to shove, I'm able to, I don't need the non-Jew, I'm already able to benefit from this on my own, and they are just enhancing, helping, making it easier. Those are also cases where, again, post facto, I'm allowed to benefit. I can't be sitting in a room, to be clear. I'm reading a book by, by the lights from coming from outside. It's not so clear. I can't tell a non-Jew, please turn on the lights for me. But if they did, I'm allowed to benefit from it. Okay, let's do a very quick summary of everything we learned. And again, next week we'll get into uh, the hinting, uh, the, the, the spectrum over there, what's in between, okay? Bottom line is, it is prohibited to tell a non-Jew to do, a, a non-Jew cannot give benefits to a Jew and by, through a malacha, through a prohibited activity on Shabbos. This is true for both biblical as well as rabbinic laws, okay? A non-Jew cannot do something for a Jew on Shabbos, which a Jew is not allowed to do, whether it's biblical or rabbinic. The why is because the fact that it is going to lessen and lighten Shabbos for us, that how the way the rabbis constructed it is some form of agency as well as an issue of saying forbidden things. Those two dimensions together, okay? And then we, we spoke about if they do something for you, generally speaking, you cannot benefit from it with three exceptions. If they did it not for